Hello and welcome to the Tiltify podcast, the joy of fundraising, where we focus on all things fundraising in both the live streaming and general philanthropic space. My name is Daniel Icasper Bong. I am the community manager for Tiltify. And as always, my co-host joining us is the lovely Miss Maggie Draskia, our social media coordinator at Tiltify. How are you doing today? I am doing great. Super happy to be here. Well, it's always a blast to have you here, and it's always a blast to have our special guests for our episodes. And episode number three is actually a really big episode for us to talk about. We're talking about building grassroots and community events. So building events, whether grassroots or community-oriented events, whatever the case may be, we're talking about how you build them, how you get them started, how you get to the final product, and how you eventually become an event like Games Done Quick or Guardian Con slash Gaming Community Expo 2020. They are amazing events that raise millions of dollars, and of course we'll talk about those in a moment, but they all started somewhere, and that's why we're tackling grassroots events and how to get those things started now, so that a couple years from now, or maybe even a couple months from now, you'll start seeing the results that you definitely want to see. Joining us for our episode number three, talking about building grassroots and community events, we have a very special guest joining us. Uh, he is an avid member and supporter of the Twitch community, the current director of production and education at the Seattle Online Broadcasters Association, and a former broadcast television producer in college back in the early age of online video. Uh, he helped produce Dancing with the RPI Stars, RPI Men's Ice Hockey, and even the NCAA on ESPN. We are being joined by Kenley. Kenley, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Well, it's good to have you here. We're very excited to talk to you about grassroots events because not only are you experienced in creating these grassroots events from your college days and producing video, but you also have actually helped produce uh, events in the Twitch space as of late as well. So we'll be getting to those topics, but first things first, let's just ease you into things. Let's talk about you because everyone loves talking about themselves, right? Uh, Kenley, well, okay, Kenley, you're actually a very, uh, you're a very humble person. Uh, I've known you for many years now, so maybe this isn't true for you, but I am going to ask you to talk a little bit about your upbringings, uh, kind of your childhood, your start in whatever kind of job career path that you've taken. And then how did you find yourself eventually to Twitch? How did you eventually find yourself into charity fundraising? That's a really, really good question, and it all begins uh, back back when I was a kid. So, to provide some context, I might currently live in Seattle, but I, w I was born and raised in New York City, and my and you know we didn't have much growing up. But there are two things that I really liked growing up as computers and video, and I made my first video for a class project in seventh grade. I think I was like one of only two folks in the in my English class that actually made a video for, for this for, for this really cool project what was the project if you don't mind me asking do you remember it was uh it was a book report about uh vampire book D Darren Chan forget the name I forget the name of the series but oh that's fine but a, a vampire book and it was a book report that you decided to turn into a video and it was like more like a live news broadcast set within the scene within like within the book storyline it sounds so fascinating yeah i mean so video editing and video production has always been in your blood basically right yep very cool well keep going and i went i definitely i went and went to college to major in computer science so for folks here i went to rpi which is rents Applied technic institute in upstate new york and when I was at RPI, I joined RPI TV freshman year and started doing video professionally. 
at the age of 17 and loved it so much that the following year I decided to uh, add a dual major in electronic media art and communication, which is like learning photography, learning video, learning audio, learning coming like coming in with a little bit of a communications background and eventually graduated from RPI with as a dual major. And I moved to Seattle to work for a technology company. And several years later, I actually joined Soba after like my friends from college that moved out to Seattle with me decided to move back to the East Coast because I was getting a little bit lonely and really, really needed a, uh, I guess, a new group of friends that aligned with my interests. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if we look at your passions, I mean, you made that video project back in middle school. You were really interested and fascinated with just video production, but then also some audio things as well. I know that you did... Uh, something along those lines with telethons and getting involved with those? Yep. Uh, in college, uh, as a typical college atmosphere, you know, student organizations do a lot of fundraising. And one of my favorite events that I produced was a fundraiser for right around the time Hurricane Sandy happened. And we did it. And we did this telethon with actual traditional telethons. And we had a variety of student groups showcase their work and fundraise and we took and we took donations over the phone like very traditional tele telephone style event yeah i mean i mean we'll we'll definitely talk about that in particular a little bit later on in this episode but just the the concept of telephones is something that we actually bring up a lot when we're pitching tiltify to charity organizations that are not familiar with live streaming or anything like that is that the easiest way for us to explain it is that well we're like a new age version of the telethon and is that something that you would agree with kenley after using tiltify for a little bit i i agree and it's definitely something that requires a little bit of acclimation and a bit of a a lot of a little bit of education and it's a culture shift considering the people who are who tend to be uh, in charge of like various charities and nonprofits, introducing them to the world live streaming. Yeah, I mean, when we talk to them about their uh, their programs that they currently use, or the different websites, or the different tools that are available to them, a lot of these charities are kind of not saying we don't necessarily want to say outdated, but at the same time, it's like the generations are changing and the fundraisers are changing, and we're finding more and more people are doing these. Live stream fundraisers, yes. Uh, live stream fundraisers, yes. But also, they're doing run walks, but they want to do it in an interactive way. Whether that means they're literally live streaming themselves doing a run walk, or just trying to build incentives and other tools that we offer at Tiltify. Like these are things that the new generation, the Gen Z, the millennials are really wanting to do with their time, with their efforts in charity fundraising. So. When we look at some of these programs that currently exist uh, at these organizations, it's like you might want to start getting with the times and start providing the things that newer, younger folks are really into. And I like it. I like the fact that we're doing this episode because we get, get to talk about bridging the gap. Yes, we can definitely talk about bridging the gap. Like, I mean, we mentioned it back in episode one where we talked about the, the generational divide a little bit. And we can definitely talk about that here where it's like it, charity fundraisers are so different now in 2020 than they were in even 2010. Uh, and especially when we go back down to the 2000s, I mean, the Jerry Lewis telethon uh, it was continuing on and that dates back to like the 1980s, 1990s. But now we look at it today, it's like that's been gone for about five, six years. I think they continued into about 2014. And it's like, uh -huh. it, it's not just a technology thing necessarily. It's just an interest thing because 
with the Jerry Lewis telethon, it was like, yeah, you get to call in and you might get to talk to a celebrity for a couple minutes and you might see your name on screen and that's great. But when you make a donation to a live stream campaign, you see your name on screen almost instantaneously. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You get to make them do certain things. Like Draskia, you have, you have experience with this as well yeah. uh, with fundraisers yeah. and it's just, it's that interaction that's there, right? Yes, definitely. Being able to pie the streamer you're watching from a donation or anything like that. It's fantastic. Right, for sure. And Kenley, I know that with your uh, fundraising, because you yourself, and we'll get more into details, but I know you yourself, you've dabbled with charity fundraising through Tiltify and on, on live stream platforms like Twitch. I know that you've even danced for charity, if I if I remember correctly. I don't not haven't done that yet, but I will say that I've Definitely poured a bag of ball pit balls on, oh. on top, on top of, uh, on top of a, on top of the local police officer from the SWAT team. Yeah. See now, hundred dollar donation. I get to take a bag of ball pit balls and pour it on a police officer. So it's like, okay, when you say that, and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself, I have never had that opportunity in my entire life, <laughs> and would I ever want to do that? Yes, yes, I would love to take an officer of the law and just do something embarrassing to them. A million percent. That actually rolls like pretty well into our big topic of this of this podcast episode, which is building grassroots events, building community type of events. And the one that you're referring to actually goes back to a telethon that you put together in 2018. Uh, so can we actually talk about that real quick? Sure thing. So as part of the Seattle Online Broadcasters Association, we believe in giving back to the community and doing and the idea of a community event was that as a organization that organizes Twitch meetups that gets that as a space for local broadcasters. It's was definitely uncharted waters, definitely a lot of uncertainty, a lot of concerns. And we decided to do a uh, holiday fundraiser for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital since they had a very good fundraising program and incentives in place. And one of our one of our like local community partners, the Seattle Police Department, uh, Chief Carmen Best is on the local advisory board for St. Jude and and approved the department's uh, the police department's participation. And we couldn't have done it without. I'm definitely going to give a shout out to uh, Sergeant Sean Whitcomb, who's a gamer, uh, public affairs officer for the Seattle Police Department, and a huge huge champion of the streaming community in the local civic space here in Seattle. Yeah, no, like it, it's, it, we just talked to Meg Kaylee for episode number two a couple weeks ago, and we talked about collaborative fundraising there. So we talked about getting other people involved, whether it was a content creator working with another content creator, or in her case, getting her family involved, like her brother, her sisters, her mom and dad, they all get into the act. I remember she had her dad jump into a pool, or sorry, they had a poll going on where people could donate to choose who actually has to jump in the pool fully clothed. And everyone, of course, chose her dad because her dad is like, you know, a, a typical businessman dad. Yeah. yeah. And he ended up I having to Meg. jump into that. Like, it, like getting other people involved is so such a great way to do charity fundraising. And in your case, with this grassroots type of event that you built with Soba, it's like you got the entire police department of Seattle involved. Um, and it yeah. just goes to show like, you know, they might be passionate about it. You said that uh, they were avid gamers. They wanted to support the streaming community. Can you talk a little bit more about that process of how you got them involved? 
So uh, let's uh, take a step back and talk about and talk about Soba. So Soba is the Seattle Online Broadcasters Association, and we see ourselves as the trade association and community for content creators in Seattle. So you will see us do things like advocate for uh, public safety legislation in the state legislature and working with the police department on is that uh, making sure that there are precautions in place to prevent swatting of local broadcasters. And working with those groups there, you often find champions of your cause. And in the Seattle Police Department, the public affairs officer, Sean Whitcomb, actually started a Twitch channel for the Seattle Police Department. <laughs> and really? Yes. It's not active anymore. It's not active anymore, but he was definitely pushing it like local, local government and the police department to in the content creation space and supporting content creators. No, that's, that's wonderful to hear. And it's like, that actually echoes back to episode one when, our, when I was talking to our CEO and co-founder, uh, Michael Wasserman, where he mentioned that you never know who's actually involved in this live streaming space. Because when you're talking about your fundraisers, when you're talking to charities in particular that have these existing programs for the past 10, 20, even 30 years, it's like of those people that are involved, how many of them watch YouTube, for example? Probably a lot of them, probably most of them, probably 90% of them. That's what the statistics actually say. And it's like, well, if they watch YouTube, they might watch Twitch, they might watch YouTube live streams, they might watch Facebook live streams, uh, whatever these social platforms are, they might already be there. I mean, it's really hard to come across someone that doesn't have a Twitter account these days. So to be able to look within what you have already established and to be like, hey, do you do you watch this TV show? It's it's pretty much the same thing. It's like, do you watch Twitch? Do you know what Twitch is? And from there, like you said, you can find these folks that kind of champion this concept, champion this idea, and you can just roll from there. It makes it so much easier when you have someone that already understands what it is to kind of convince them to get involved. Would you agree? Totally great air. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and the thing is, is like this. So let's take a step back. Soba was established a handful of years ago, if I'm correct. Uh, back in 2015. So we're coming into five years as of this year. Yeah, that is, I mean, that is a longstanding organization, especially in this live streaming space. I mean, if we look at Twitch in particular, they've been around since 2011, 2012. They were just in TV back in the day, but I would say that Twitch didn't really take off until the recent, you know, five, six years where it started to build up as its own platform, as something that people actually use to watch live content. Um, it wasn't until the past five, six years for that. So it's like to have an organization like Soba to exist for five years, you're established. You've definitely established yourselves as an organization that does care about the community and trying to build a community. And we can talk about your monthly meetups, actually. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do with the monthly meetups? So Soba is the organizer of the like official Twitch meetup here in Seattle. And it's every second Saturday month, like, usually every second Saturday month at GameWorks. And we showcase local content creators where, you know, we do a live stream where we get to showcase on local content creators, local independent game developers, charities from time to time. And we bring on a, a variety of different outside speakers and guests that are relevant and involved in the space. Because the one thing that we want to do every single month is leave broadcasters, leave our attendees feeling like they're leaving with something of value, whether that's the knowledge, 
connections, opportunities. And we work really hard on making that possible. Like I know for me, like I, I spearheaded building a production, uh, all volunteer production team from scratch. And it's helped, it's helped broadcasters get jobs that are either in the industry or adjacent enough to the industry. And it's, um, it's a really amazing time seeing people grow and succeed. Yeah, talking about the um, the networking part that you alluded to, I mean, Draskia, you and I have been around live streaming for many years now, like five plus years. And wouldn't you agree that networking might actually be one of the hardest things to actually accomplish in this space? Oh, for sure. Networking can be overwhelming to say the least um but going to meetups and making face-to-face -face connections with people can be super valuable that's something that people can come away with having um made that connection there. using social media and stuff like that for networking as well as super super handy um knowing your handles knowing who you're talking to knowing what you're saying all of that can be super useful yeah, 100% agree. And when it comes back to the social media part, it's like there there's a pretty big importance on being on social media. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you'll find the odd person that kind of disagrees with that. But I think networking in particular, it's like if you make the conversation, if you start the conversation on social media, that's one thing. Uh, and then you can kind of build that into a relationship from there. Mm -hmm. And then eventually when you meet face to face, because this industry is all around the world, if you ever meet face to face, like you can make that mm -hmm. interpersonal connection and it's less awkward. You still have that awkwardness there. I mean, we're humans. Just a little bit. <laughs> but it, at the end of the day, like you have a face to the name now and you can kind of go from there and build that friendship, build that networking relationship forward. Um, but on the flip side of things, if you meet someone in person and you talk to them, it's like, how do you keep in touch? I mean, it's almost like an outdated practice of giving someone your phone number. Uh, mm -hmm. Or a business card. Uh, yes, or a business card. Business cards are a great way to do that. Um, but giving a phone number is kind of outdated at this point. Uh, and giving a business card, I feel like is a great way to do it for sure. Sometimes you might forget it. Sometimes you're not that prepared. I know that uh -huh. newer broadcasters are actually very, uh, they're, they don't want to necessarily spend the money or they don't know how to, or they don't know how to build a good business card. So the next best thing is your social media. Like that's almost like your digital business card, right? Yeah, exactly. Platforms like Twitter and Instagram make it super easy for you to scan a QR code. Um, if you're standing in front of someone to say, hey, you know, scan this and you can follow me and keep up to date with the stuff. Maybe we can work together. Um, same thing can be done on Instagram. Facebook, we think, also has one. Um, so you have you have digital business cards and digital selves that can be shared and networked. For sure. And let's jump back to Soba then, because then Soba has now created a monthly meetup, right? And you've been doing monthly meetups for what, two years or so now? Two, three years now. It's, it's been, it's been a while. It's, we've been doing them for a long time now. Like it's been several years. Yeah. And we've managed to make it a welcoming place for, you know, we don't care how big or how small you are. It's just, you're, you're at Soba and you're one of us. Yeah, that, that inclusivity thing is such an important feel because I know back when I started streaming, uh, live streaming seven and a half, eight years ago at the time of release of this podcast, it's like that was the most frustrating thing because you felt so isolated and a lot of streamers still to this day feel isolated, um, but it's the connections that we make on social media, viewing other broadcasters, doing that networking thing. Uh, I've heard it from time to time that some people feel like networking in certain ways feels unauthentic. I, 
I can see where you're coming from there, but at the end of the day, you're still building friendships. You're still building relationships. Mm -hmm. Making connections. And making We're connections. We're still working together for a common cause sometimes. For sure. I feel, and, like, I feel like that's why people go like go to events and keep coming back. For sure. They feel like they're a part of something larger. Yeah, it, it, being a part of something larger is definitely a very important feel because if we kind of wrangle this back to uh, grassroots events, community events, or even fundraising events, uh, feeling like you're a part of something is going to be the reason why you come back to it, right? Because if we look yeah. at events mm -hmm. like uh, Games Done Quick, uh, Games Gun, Gun, Done Quick, those that have not heard of it before, it is a speedrunning event that started in 2010. And it started with a handful of friends in someone's basement because they were supposed to be at this public event, but the technology didn't work and they couldn't live stream from it. So they ended up going to someone's basement for the actual fundraising event and they raised thousands of dollars and that was great. Um, but that has since built into this juggernaut of an event that they actually do two of now where it's in January and June, July, summer, and they have 168 hours of content non-stop throughout the day so 24 hours a day seven days a week and they have speedrunners who are amazing at the games that they play and speedrunners are those that beat these games as quickly as possible they fly out to the centralized location they play their game really fast people are super excited about it a lot of them have never seen this before and then they switch and they just take turns showing off their craft and it's it's such a magical thing that it started with a handful of folks in one basement and now it's grown to this huge production with hundreds of volunteers, hundreds of staff members, hundreds of runners. And they claim that it's uh, what 2000 plus attendees now that they actually attend these events. Another grassroots event that started small was uh, Guardian Con, which is now known as the Gaming Community Expo. Uh, that started not even four or five years ago where it was Professor Broman and a couple of friends that wanted to get together through the Destiny community and they decided to rent out an area that could hold 250 people and over like a thousand showed up <laughs> and they were like, what the heck happened? Um, uh -huh. And that just shows the power of one, like the, the Gathalians and Professor Broman, like they had pretty big communities, let's be honest. But uh, it goes to show that that has now grown into from a random meetup of like-minded individuals to now a literal convention that raised four million dollars for saint jude last year um, I'm, I'm always impressed with guard uh, gcx yeah gcx is like an anomaly <laughs> when it comes to it because games done quick it took them uh four years before they started to raise a million dollars per event and i do not i want to preface this by saying a million dollars is an incredible amount and i'm not undermining that in any way whatsoever but GCX, it, it, they raised over a million dollars in their second year, and now they've only been around four or five years. And again, they, they are filling out an entire convention space. They've got uh, folks like Bungie uh, involved directly with it. They've got other creators involved with it. And again, they raise millions of dollars throughout the entire year. And it's just, it's incredible, yes, but take a look at where they started. And that's where I kind of want to bring this conversation back to because Soba has created their telethon in 2018. I feel like you guys might be planning on doing something in 2020. And stay, stay tuned. Stay tuned, uh, stay tuned for that. Stay tuned stay for that. Tuned. Because I think we are still planning a signature telethon event, but we're also working on providing resources to broadcasters to, to support and fundraise for local causes. We're, we're trying to 
do more with and be more intelligent with how we where we put our resources so it's like how we can scale out is our focus for 2020 for sure and i think what soba does because you provide this safe space for broadcasters to feel welcome no matter what size that they are and i think that is already incredible in and of itself so the fact that you're even considering going back to this telethon bringing it back in 2020 and hopefully forward um, that just shows like a community event that has grown to something that you didn't even know would be the size I'm imagining, uh, and you're excited for the future. I was definitely really surprised. I was definitely really surprised putting the event together, like seeing how many people would turn up from our community. We had like over four, over forty people plus local folks that are outside of the uh, streaming community, outside of our meetup community, that decided to show up and and give their support. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to community events, like community meetups in particular, like if we touch on this in particular, I, I know that Twitch has gotten more involved with these actual community meetups. In fact, they've actually partnered uh, with these community meetups in order to provide them swag and other resources in order to get involved. They started doing that, I believe, in 2018 or so. But it's like so many broadcasters, especially back in the day, so this is going back to my roots, where in 2013, you felt like you had to go to a Penny Arcade Expo event or you were irrelevant. And that is such mm -hmm. an unfortunate feeling. Uh, like, Draskia, did you feel that way before you went to any events? Because you've been streaming about five, six years now. Uh, was it the same experience for you? It was definitely important for me to make it to an event. Um, the first event that I made it to was actually the first TwitchCon. And I was super stoked. I was super excited. I felt like I was involved and able to connect with everything. It, it was so important. Right. And let's also talk about the other side of your uh, kind of business savviness, because yes, you're the social media coordinator for Tiltify. Yes, you've been industry side for many years yeah. now, but you're also an artist, right? So yes. was it even more important for you as an artist broadcaster or an artist in general to have those networking opportunities? Oh, for sure. Being able to put a face to a name or be able to give my face to my name to people was incredibly important. Just being able to sit down and talk to people and tell them what I do and and how I do it and make that connection. I find that it was completely invaluable. Yeah, no, I no wait, valuable. No, it was valuable. It was. <laughs> it's been a long day. It's been a long day. It's been a long yes. day. And I'm totally going to keep that part in here. Um, oh, no. <laughs> But it, making so uh, going back to my point about it, how it felt like you had to attend yes, uh, yes. a major event, a Penny Arcade mm -hmm. Expo East or West. They've now introduced South uh, mm -hmm. back in 2015 and uh, TwitchCon now. They even saw mm -hmm. the importance of having a convention. We had uh, TwitchCon start in 2015. Now they're over in Europe and now they're doing yeah. TwitchCon EU for the second year this year. Uh, they saw the importance of that as well, but dialing it back, like these community events have started to become a thing of its own. I mean, when you think of the community meetups, yes, you think of Seattle and Soba and their efforts. They do it monthly. Like that is absolutely uh -huh. insane. And it's a simple structure, but there's countless hours of planning that goes into it each and every single month. Right, Kenley? Uh, for the uh, for the monthly community meetups, we have it down to regular cadence, with, uh, and we kind of have our own internal runbooks of how we of how we organize how we run a community meetup in regards to getting the word out, getting the word out to our community, making sure that the right content and equipment is placed for our live stream, and making sure that we consistently deliver value. 
Like that's a, we have like it's not just me. We have like it's five organizers: Lindsay, James, John, Ty, and Ty, and they each have a, like a functional area that they own. For example, uh, Ty is director of community organizing. James is director of partner relations. They have their own in focus areas they work on. Yeah, they're that's passion. That's us to scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's there are different passions that they kind of excel at, right? Especially with you doing the production, so you're handling the live streams as well. Um, kind of that division of labor has made it much easier for you guys to be able to make it so that you can do this monthly. And that's not to discredit any of the other community meetups that do it every two months or every three months, because when we look at, uh, for example, uh, Clara, who organizes the Twitch Vancouver meetups, um, she usually did them once every three months or so. Uh, and she dabbled with, you know, twice a year, then she dabbled with more often, like, I think she went even as recent as like every two months or so. And now since then, she's done it eh, pretty much seasonal. Uh, so once every three or four months, but the turnout for them, I mean, they started at a bar. And that bar developed into another bar because the original bar was too tiny for how many people were showing up. And then that second bar became the uh, Vancouver Film School, where they actually use the entire um, uh, campus, basically, like the entire bottom area of the campus. I remember when Tiltify sponsored their event back in summer of 2019, when I went there and Clara, like we're, we're siblings, so she tells me a lot about these events. I've never actually seen it with my own eyes, but they hand me a map right? They, they hand me a floor plan map. And I'm like, why the heck do I need a floor plan map for your huge. community meetup? It's huge. They have literally six sections of things you can do. Sections. There's Sounds the, amazing. There's the activities. live. Yeah, there's activities. There's a dance floor. There's, of course, bars, because let's be honest, community meetups, if you have a little bit of alcohol, it can help. I'm it just works. saying it helps. It helps. You don't That's need great. it. You don't need it, but social lubri- optional social lubrication. Exactly. Uh, and especially in Canada, because the drinking age is younger. So it's it's more accessible that way. Anyways, um, but they have, uh, you know, they have the dance areas. They have the games areas. Um, she has local developers similar to Soba where they get involved. They can demo their games. And in Vancouver in particular, they've got two really big, big, big organizations there. Uh, big game developers in Brace Yourself Games who made Crypto the Necrodancer. Cadence of Hyrule, you might have heard of that one uh, in association with Nintendo. Um, they've got many other games coming out that are just huge, huge, huge projects. And they got to actually showcase all their games there. They actually sponsor a lot of their events too. Uh, and they also have Clay. You might know Clay for Don't Starve and Don't Starve Together. They also have other titles as well, but those two are centralized in Vancouver. So they've got a huge advantage of just having so many people be able to attend their events that it is incredible. I definitely do not want to undermine any of the bigger events. Twitch Chicago is another one. Twitch New York is another one where they have these gigantic events with hundreds and hundreds of people attending. But bringing it back to our topic, which is grassroots events, like to be able to make such a process that you can succinctly have a monthly gathering of like-minded individuals is so important to the Twitch ecosphere. Uh, and not just Twitch, let's let's bring it to content creators in general, because we have Mixer, we have Facebook, we have YouTube Live now, and YouTube we Gaming. Do have, we do have creators from other platforms that go to our events too. Like that's, I guess that's the natural draw of it. And the reason why we why we do events monthly is that if we ever did on something that was not a monthly cadence, we would have too many people and too many logistical issues to deal with. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's just incredible to see. And I want to actually 
get to our questions, even though we're not fully done talking about this topic, but one of the questions sure. is actually very pertinent to this discussion, uh, where Kevin actually writes in and says, where do you even start when it comes to creating a grassroots event? Does it start with a concept or does it start with a passion thing? Uh, Kenley, what do you believe uh, when it comes to Soba, for example? Uh, what do you guys believe there? With Soba, like happened because there is an owner and who really believes in making something happen. So for me, like the uh, holiday telephone started because I had a concept of building a telephone event. Everything else Every, everything else was uh, left up was a question mark. I told myself when I stepped up to lead production in 2018 is I want to do a telethon at the end of the year, a holiday telethon, because it's certainly an exercise in uncertainty and how far can we push this and how far will our community like buckle up and sit down and enjoy the ride with us? And we took it, and I'm pretty happy that the community went really far and making making it a lot of fun i will say that for sure yeah i i remember watching that telethon and it's just like some of the activities that you guys had i mean again you got the seattle police department involved didn't you have them play uh that one game keep talking keep talking and no one explodes yeah so <laughs> for those that don't know this video game again because we're, we're targeting many audiences with this podcast for those that don't know this video game there is a bomb and there are two players one player is at the bomb and the other person can only look at the manual. And what they have to do is the person with the bomb has to describe what they're looking at and the other person has to tell them how to defuse that bomb. Um, it is chaos. I have never played it in my entire life, but can you imagine two folks from the Seattle Police Department playing this video game? It sounds like fun. <laughs> it's it was wild. It, it was hilarious. It feels like a once in a lifetime opportunity. And that is something that just like you guys got to take advantage of, like full advantage of. And we ruined some incentives. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about incentives because uh, I want to quickly touch on this because y you have such a unique situation there uh, where you do have the Seattle Police Department, but you also had other content creators involved as well. Like, uh, how did you build the incentives around that? Like, did you feel like, look, we have the Seattle PD here. We have to make them do just some insane things because like within their comfort zone, obviously. But like, yeah. like how did that process go? So we got a gift of way too many ball pit balls because some broadcasters decided had a fun time. Like their communities had a fun time with uh, sending unsolicited orders of ball pit balls. So that arrived the, the, the night before, and they're like, they just wanted to get rid of this. And then I and then I, I see these ball pit balls, and I'm like, oh boy, I got some ideas. And and I'm I'm like, and the police department came in the next day. It's like, hey, would you be up for an incentive where we take these and just pour them all over the SWAT team while they attempted to defuse this in-game bomb as a distraction? And we'll put in we'll make an incentive. It's <laughs> like. Just the thought of it again, just like I'm playing this uh, back in my head and it's just, it sounds absurd, but at the same time, it, it's not harming anyone. It, it's just ball pit balls. It's not like we're making them eat a ghost pepper or anything, right, Draskia? Um, yeah. <laughs> like we're, we're not doing anything like that. We're just, it's just ball pit balls. It's funny. It's humorous. And I feel like so many people get uh, so obsessed when it comes to fundraising. They get so obsessed with the the pain. They they get so obsessed with the the unusual, the weird. I had fun with it. Yeah, and like this falls under unusual, 
uh, it falls under a little weird as well, but it's also a lot of fun. And I feel like you don't necessarily, what I'm trying to say is you don't necessarily have to go the distance of uh, pain and suffering of your bowels and your, <laughs> and your stomachs uh, in order to have great incentives like this, because this just, you know, it's, it's the police department. Yeah, how many people also, have opinions about that? They also offered a broadcaster incentive. They also offered a really good broadcaster incentive uh, incentive for uh, broadcasters who did, did their own fundraising streams. Oh, really? Uh, can you talk about that a little bit more? So, uh, so the uh, the head of the harp, the person, the officer in charge of the harbor patrol, has a daughter who works at Twitch, and he worked with uh, Sean Whitcomb, who's our. Uh, Who's been who's our point of contact in the police department to offer a harbor patrol ride along incentive to the broadcaster who would fundraise the most money what? on their own stream as a side event? Oh, man. That sounds amazing. I'm on a boat and it's going fast, man. It's an incentive. That's I mean and, again, once in a lifetime opportunities like that, you know? Like how many times are you gonna be able to say that you get to do that? Uh, probably not many. Um, and I think just like you guys did a great job of kind of taking advantage of what was in front of you. And I think that is a great approach to it. And I think that it just, again, going back to kind of the question about how, where do you even start when it comes from to creating a grassroots event? I think it starts with an idea. I think it starts with a concept and sometimes that idea and concept can also drive from passion, right? So for me, when I started quest for the cause, which is my annual charity event, uh, that all started because I wanted to pay my respects to those that I'd lost to cancer, uh, when I was a child. So it was primarily targeted towards cancer research foundations, uh, for the first couple of years and have since, uh, expanded since then. But that all started with a, pe a passion for a concept of paying my respects. Right. And it, that has just grown from this one 24 hour stream where I streamed in my basement with a bunch of local friends and we raised $3,500 to now, you know, we've raised nearly half a million dollars seven events later, eight events later, and it's still building and it's still just it, more and more people get involved. And we have some people that have taken part in Quest for the Cause since year one, since year two. Um, and just kind of connecting that back to SOBA and what you have done at SOBA with these uh, community meetups uh, or even the telethon. It's like these are now connections that you've made and these are now connections that you can keep moving forward because you made them feel welcome. You made them feel uh, appreciated and it's something that they can also just be passionate about right whether it's it's, a, it's about getting it's about getting people together like whether it's your passion or whether it's an idea it, the thing that takes it to, through to the end is the friends you'll meet along the way that is so wholesome and i think that is a great Aww. place <laughs> I think that's a great place for us to actually end off this podcast episode. I want to give a very special thank you to Kenley for joining us to talk about grassroots events as well as community events and all the amazing things that they've done over at Soba. I uh, also want to give a very special thank you to Maggie Draskia, as always, for joining me as my co-host, uh, our social media coordinator. Please do tweet us stuff. She, she loves talking to you uh, over on Twitter in particular. Uh, but Kenley, do you have any shout outs that you want to give out? I I definitely want to say that events like these, they're not a one-person show. There is a huge team of people, both within SOBA and, and our supporters and partners in the community that make it possible. And I really want to give them a shout-out right now. So for all of the, uh, all of the uh, SOBA leaders, that's Lindsay, James, John, and Ty, you all are, you're all really fantastic, and it's a pleasure to, ha pleasure to work with all of you to make really cool stuff happen. 
and to several folks on my production team at the time we, when we were making the uh, Seattle Holiday Telephone a thing. That's Business Shriku, Baron Sheep, Willowvergard. I don't think I could have done it without you. <laughs> Seriously, like, like that. That was it was incredible. And in terms of us, in terms of supporters and industry partners, uh, Grunk Among Games, Blake J. Har J. Harris, who gave us a signed copy of Console Wars, Gawkbox, who gave us this, who gave us a space to use for an entire weekend, over, Overstream, Dan Fornes of Rivals of Afer, Squad says Burgeoning Studios and Mighty Studios, like, y'all are fantastic, like, thank you so much for all of the help and support that you provided back in 2018. And I look forward to working, to seeing what 2020 brings forth. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you guys have some very big plans and again, stay tuned for all those things. But just again, Soba has done some incredible things for not just the Seattle community, but just for communities in general and just the amount of friendships that have been built, uh, the amount of relationships, the working relationships and others that have happened from Soba, I'm sure. Um, you're doing great work there. And again, for if there's a takeaway for anyone that's listening, uh, it's that grassroots events, it it starts at the grassroots. You just got to start doing it, believe in it, and I'm sure others out there will believe in the same concept as you. Thank you very much, Kenley, for tuning in. Draskia, do you have any shout-outs you want to give out? Uh, not really. Just want to say if you have any questions or comments, please, please, please use um, our Twitter or Instagram. On Twitter, we are we are Tiltify, or you can use the hashtag uh, Tiltify2020 as well. Yes, please do send us questions. Please do, do send us topics because in our upcoming episodes, we are we don't have our guests officially announced yet, but they are some pretty amazing folks. And with our future episodes also being in the month of April, there might be a certain event coming up in May that we want to talk about. So we'll have some pretty amazing guests. You can stay tuned, stay locked to our Twitter at we are tiltify and then over on instagram it's just tiltify and you can find out more information about all of our future episodes our future guests and ask us questions suggest topics whatever you guys want us to talk about but that is it for episode number three of the joy of fundraising a tiltify podcast we thank you very much for listening and we will talk to you next time